Welcome to a new episode of No Ride Around. Yeah, back in base camp with the microphones. Yep. And thank God the heater just turned on because <laughs> it is like supposed to be bike riding weather, March in uh, Colorado. And I'm like, get me back to somewhere where there are more tacos than there are oat milk cortados. It is super duper not nice weather outside. Um, and it's been hard. Um, I think I've got, you know, I set a new... I have in my mind a mileage goal for the year, uh-huh. but I'm really making that shift from miles don't matter, hours do. So really what I'm focusing on is my hour goal for the year. And I'm off to a really good start, but then you go and you look, and if anybody knows me at this point, you should come as no surprise that there's a spreadsheet. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like... I think at this point, the better part of eleven or twelve hundred indoor miles since the beginning of the year. It's uh, a lot of indoor riding, and um, you had a, a a good way around that. I think. Yeah. No. I uh, I have I have found how to navigate the Colorado winter weather as a as a mountain bike athlete. Last out. yeah, last year um, for anybody who saw that you know our first two years of doing the podcast we were super consistent and then saw last year there was like this really big gap yeah uh it was because justin discovered the joys of a van in the desert yeah i disappeared from my january i believe i left on like the ninth i didn't come back like properly to colorado until like april so first of all i want to commend us for recording an episode before the middle of April. <laughs> yeah, hey, we're ahead of it. <laughs> we're ahead of the curve. So, um, yeah, there's this. You know, I used to, I used to make fun of people who said that like they live in Colorado and they don't ski. You know, they right. don't, they'd be like, yeah, no, I don't go up there. And I was blown away because coming from Iowa, moving to Colorado, like, how would you not ski? Like, that's the purpose for move, moving here. Like, it's it's unreal. And then I slowly shifted like to a little fewer days, fewer ski days, few, and then yeah, these last two years. None at all for the most part. This year, I'm going to successfully accomplish a, a lifetime goal, which is to live in Colorado and not ski a single day. A single day. Which is just the old me eight years ago would have slapped myself. Um, but eight years ago, I wouldn't have done nearly the cool amount of things that I've got to do. Also, eight years ago in Colorado, you could get to a ski resort in an hour and a half to two hours? Yeah, no, that has definitely, you know, like everything, we're swelling. And so that stuff's gotten more challenging. It's real bad, though. I mean, I tell you real bad. Real bad was yesterday, uh, the first warm day in March, and uh, a Sunday, and uh, on Red Rocks Trail. I was like, <laughs> right, for, for the like a nanosecond, I got frustrated with the amount of people, and I was like, what did you expect? Yeah. It's like 58, sunny, a Sunday, and you're on Red Rocks Trail, moron. Like, you, no one owes you an apology. And, you know... It's hard to it's it's super hard to have that peace of mind because we want to be out and we want to hammer and we want to have our ride, but you know everybody's been trapped in their houses. Oh yeah, man. There was I came, so I came up on this family. There was like eighty three of them. 
um, in the middle of the trail. Say eighty three of them. Yeah. <laughs> like realistically though, there and I'm not I'm not kidding you. There were thirteen. Yeah. As this one group, and then the the one lady I was riding behind slowly calling out like bike, 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 bike. She had like three inch like wooden heels on some like platform shoe walking on the trail, and I'm like this hiking is... in in Red Rocks. Yeah, like, yeah. Where I was like, they... this is super yeah, no. smart. Um, they just all freeze. It's like uh, deers and headlights. You know, they just totally freeze. I just said deer as a plural word yeah. with an S. Cactuses. I have really lost the capture of the English language because I've been playing with other language for right. the better part of the year. Right. Um, and they just all freeze. And then I'm like, fine, I'll just pick my way through you frozen. That's We can do that too. Yeah. Um, interestingly, and I think it's because, one, there's a fee. I noticed that any time that there's a fee to get into a park, Traffic is way lower. Oh, yeah, for sure. So Staunton out off of 285, I love it. It's great. I love it. First of all, the riding's good. The trails are so well taken care of. Um, But yeah, I mean, seven bucks keeps a lot of people away. Keeps a lot of people away. You know, I I actually actually smiled a bit yesterday because of, of as much start and stopping there was with people. And then, you know, we forget, and we did an episode on this not too long ago, but we're all just kind of shades of gray. People that are outside on a sunny day mm-hmm. in Colorado, whether you're hiking or biking or even if you're like the the worst version and you're on a horse, like we're still all the same. Everybody color woke up gray. Everybody woke up excited that day that the sun was going to be out yeah. and it was not going to be 40. Totally. So so I kind of like smile and I'm like, "All right, it's, it's all it's yeah. all good." Yeah. So uh, I had a, a a different experience except for I made it worse on myself. Uh, which I was telling you before we recorded. I had a great experience on the trail because I went to Bear Creek and nobody was there except for we're two weeks out from the Bear, the first uh, Rattler race of the, of the season. And there was packs of teams pre-riding the course. Oh, wow. Um, that actually would be fun. Yeah. No, the um, what is the the RX, the RXC guys? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I can't think of their proper team name. But, yeah, the racer cross. Yeah, I um, again, I I don't know their proper team name, but they were there was one or two packs of like eight riders each nice. of those guys out there riding. Um. Uh. Anyway, uh, yeah, I forgot my shoes, so I had to drive to and from the trailhead twice. So that was fun. There's a few things you can ride without, right? You forget your gloves, forget your sunglasses, forget your chamois cream. Yeah. Like shoes are real. You, you don't have a choice here. Well, and like I was telling you, it was it was the stupidest, vainest reason is I wanted to wear my white S fires. Because you're faster in those. They're good for five watts. I mean, you are definitely faster. Ask Russ Patterson. He wrote with me yesterday <laughs> in his bright white shoes. Yeah. Faster in your white shoes. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I went to go swap the shoes out of my bag and got distracted and got all the way to the trailhead and had a... I was actually proud of myself. I didn't actually have a meltdown. I wanted to have a meltdown, but I didn't. Anyway. It's helpful to do the math in those situations because, and what I mean by that is, turning around, driving home, and driving back. Known value, it's going to cost you whatever it is, 47 minutes, right? Yep. Whatever. Um, but you start thinking creatively when you're like really frustrated. And you're like, well, I'll go to the closest bike shop. I can buy some new shoes. But you forget that would be like buying some shitty shoes at somebody else's bike shop, yep. then buying the cleats and then putting the cleats on and, and they're then not going to be right. And all the stuff and any, and at the end of it, it's 47 minutes, yep. you know? And yep. so I think that's helpful. I think of that also, uh, here's a, just a free tip. I think of that when I'm doing my meal prep, 
like we started this episode and I said, Hey, I need to eat my snack. I have my overnight oats here in my little portable container. Mm-hmm. You know, that takes four and a half minutes to do last night. And because I'm just such a, the psycho that I am, I also prepped all of my overnight oats for this weekend's Moab rocks. Right. So it kind of like made it as a bulk thing, but you, know, you take four, four to seven minutes the night before, and then you don't have the net net 20 minutes it is to find a coffee shop to go into, to get a snack, to order the snack, to wait for the snack, to get the snack. And you, that giant thing of overnight oats was 85 cents. Right. You know, yeah, versus yeah. a $4 protein overnight oats at whatever place. You yeah, know, like, which leaves you hungry anyway. Um, so what do we do? What do we got? There was this thing we were going to talk about. This um, thing, there was, um. so, well, there's kind of two things, actually. And they're both pretty big. Uh, welcome to your 40s, buddy. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, I thought of 100 different things I thought was going to come out of your mouth right then. You know, new allied bike, or this, that, this trip I just took. Well, you talk about being... I'll tell you what. Um, I did it in style. You 100% um, did. I did it in style. But uh, just recently, I, I actually told somebody my age. And it kind of just... It's still... I don't care who you are. 40 is the best time in your life. You're just peaking. All the shit you want to tell yourself is still a gigantic number to say out loud. It is. Somebody goes, how old are you? You go, 40. It's like, I had somebody, they looked at me kind of like with their mouth agape a bit and they go, wow, you really don't look that. And I'm like, I know it is an old number. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, my reality is I turned 44 this year. Yeah. I mean, uh, you're almost dead. Yep. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I've had a number of people, uh, recently, and I guess it's you know all the the hard partying in the twenties didn't quite kick my ass the way it did the gener you know our parents generation. Right. Somebody forty four in our parents generation looked like they were sixty eight in in today's age. Yeah, that's what I always thought too. That's why I feel like I'm not really forty because no. I don't look like you know. I like, think people just overall. I yeah. think humans take better care of themselves than they did in the fifties and sixties. I'm 60s. hoping it's that's reality. It's not yeah. one of those like things where that's just our own perception because we are no, now that age. We've got people in their twenties on our team that were. I had somebody last summer think I was thirty eight. Who right. you know who their mid twenties. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, so maybe we we're doing all right for we're ourselves. We're doing okay. So anyway, welcome to your forties. Th- thanks. Um, um, as we do, I mean, because when I turned forty. What did I do? Signed Got up you. for Breck Epic. That was my, yeah, my big deal, right? Yeah, I was like, you did. I wanted to like ring in that 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 you know. I always feel like you should do something cool on the tens, right? You said, "What did I do?" I sorry, I got to pull because now it's in my head, and I got. I thought you, you your oil checked. I got to go get my oil checked. Like that's the only thing. That's what, you said Breck Epic. I forgot we're a biking podcast. Yeah, no. I thought you were gonna say you get your oil checked. No, um, they pushed that to forty five. I don't care. Get my oil checked. Well, I mean, go for it. It's a preventable uh, thing. No, hundred um, percent. And so to ring in your fortieth, you decided you wanted to have your fortieth birthday in Mexico, but the method of getting there yeah wasn't just i'm going to fly to mexico yeah we and that's how we kind of ended last year I was talking about what, what was coming up next yeah. and uh yeah man i did the baja divide um 1700 miles san diego to cabo 98% on dirt mm-hmm. um and we bike packed it and it was it was 
I'll just put it this way because we've covered a lot of events on this podcast, both yours and mine and things we've done together in domestic and international. And um, from the very first moment I ever pedaled a bicycle to the person I sit here as right now, that was the coolest thing I've ever done on a bike. That's awesome. I don't think you can be where you were in the way that you were and not have it impact you in some way. I mean, that's, that's unplugging, right? That's being homeless on a bike with a credit. I mean, granted, like you, you had resources, but you know, Oh, I'm going to scroll Instagram or TikTok, or I'm going to pop on a movie or I'm going to pop. I don't feel like cooking. I'm going to pop down to whole foods and hit the prepared food set. Like it's a, it's a real unplug from society, right? Yeah, it is a, I guess the better way to say it through the experiences, it was the most simplified existence I could imagine. Yeah. It was so simplified. Like the, the life boiled down to eat enough calories, pedal all day, go to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Like there, there was really, there was nothing else left to do. Yeah, we like. We had things come up. We had to navigate issues and problems and hurdles. But at the at the end of the day, if we really talk about what we did is we just rode all day and we ate as much as we could get our hands on and we slept great. Like it was the best sleep I've had. Yeah. It was the the best my body has felt. You know, I went into it <laughs> yeah, let's in a talk real about bad way. The, the day the day I mean, what did you you flew out on a Tuesday and you called me on a Saturday fucked up. Oh yeah. So okay, so the trip we, we well, was, well, let's rewind just a little bit because you have what I would call a dubious relationship with bikepacking. Yeah, I I think bikepacking stupid. You're it takes a fun sport, it makes it not fun. Right, and you know there's been a couple of attempts to like I'm just going to get through it because the challenge is going to be the thing. Didn't quite do it, and then just like you've done. A couple of like gravel ones, right? Gravel like ones, overnight. I've done a road one. Right. I've done a couple overnight mountain bike ones. Like really trying to like, yeah, find some joy in this thing, and that, I couldn't find it. <laughs> that no, I couldn't. Has find been it. joyless. I thought so. The one thing I learned was that you couldn't doing it alone really sucks, right? And so I learned that. Um, the the thing that I think, and now having this Baja Divide experience, what I realized is. It's hard to go do something you normally do in, in for lack of a better word, in a shitty way. Mm-hmm. So like if I take my fast mountain bike mm-hmm. and then put a bunch of heavy crap on it, I still want it to be my fast mountain bike and it's not going to be. So bikepacking on a fast bike is kind of stupid. Mm-hmm. And then if I'm going to go bikepack trails that I normally just mountain bike, well, I've got a standard for them that I'm not going to be able to meet up to because I'm adding 20, 30 pounds of gear. And so bikepacking on routes that you just ride normally also is kind of a stupid idea. So, you know, now looking back, I realized the error of my ways with bikepacking was that I was always trying to just add the bikepacking element to a thing I've already been doing. And that is a bit too laborious. It doesn't make for a good experience. But going to a place I've never been on a bike I never have any standards set for, Mm -hmm. and then realizing I'm there for the adventure in and of itself and less about the bike riding that really opened me up to being able to have a good experience. And, and so that's what I walked away with. So I, again, your words, you walked away with it. 
you under you have like you can look back on on it now and say all those cool mm-hmm. positive things about about that but knowing what your relationship with bikepacking had been all the way until say August of last year yeah. which is probably when you started formulating the plan how did you decide that like hey i've had like this this part of biking hasn't worked for me that's what i want to do for a month for my birthday <laughs> Yeah, because <laughs> like that's a pretty big leap. Like again, looking back on it now, all that super cool positive stuff, and you have a fresh perspective. But you didn't have that perspective when you started planning the trip. Yeah, so I guess to answer your question is, I wasn't nearly that cerebral about the decision making. Okay, like I didn't really think this thing through. <laughs> you know, the way this came about and was, you know, Brian Elander goes, "We should do the Baja Divide," and I just said, "Yep." Okay. In May of last year, okay. and then. We don't talk about it for a month, and then some, somehow it comes up again, and we're like, yeah, no, we're doing the Baja Divide after Christmas. And then we don't talk about it for two months, and then it comes... And we really didn't get serious until, like, November. Um, oh, wow. Is the first time we got real serious about it. We always knew we were doing it, because neither of us said we weren't going to do it. Right. And then as we free, as we revisited uh, the conversation, we, we both, like, doubled down, like, oh, we're doing it, so that we had no way to back out. Um so I didn't think about it. Some weird game of chicken with yeah, your no, riding buddy. Yeah, yeah no, exactly. And like, he wasn't going to back out. I wasn't going to back out when it became. And so I was just like, I'm going I'm to do this. And um, I never really thought about that. I never thought about the fact that I hate bikepacking. Right. I, because I was like, oh, we're doing this thing. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that helped. I think not. You know, there's so many times people, when we set goals, we then take that goal and then we, we build it up, Right. Um, with anticipation and expectation and, and all of the stuff. And then it becomes huge. And this, this thing never really had the opportunity because hell, we, you know, we were still racing the Rattler in November, dawn to dusk in December. Yeah, and so, so yeah. there was never a chance to like focus on it. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oops, it just happened. And now it's here. And so when we went down to dawn to dusk in Arizona, you know, I took all my gear down and Brian took it with him to San Diego. And next time I saw him was, uh, December 26th when I flew to San Diego. Yeah. I remember there's a couple of times, you know, in a relationship with somebody where they say something that just like identifies to you who they are as a person. And after every dawn to dusk was such a positive experience. It was such like, it was, it was the dawn to dusk coaching program, but it was mostly made up of no ride around riders. So it was like this really cool team event. And there was, it was just Everything, everybody's riding so high. And so when it was time to go, I saw Elander's like, oh, I'll see you back in Denver. He's like, nah, man, it's cold there. I'll see you in the spring. And like, he wasn't, there was not an ounce of irony right. in his voice. Yeah, it's not, crazy. Not a single, there's no like, ha, 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 I'll see you. No, really, I'll see you in January. Like, he was dead nut serious. Yep. Like, he just left in his van with his shit. And, and for that matter, you did too. Uh, and that was that. It was, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of weird, man. I mean, in, in this year's continue that way, you know, not to skip past Baja cause that's what we're going to cover, but you know, just a couple of weeks ago, I was sleeping in a parking lot outside of a lifetime fitness in Scottsdale with Bennett, <laughs> right. not with Se- separate. he's in his truck <laughs> and I'm in my van, but there's like a rainstorm in, in yeah. Arizona yeah. and, and we're in this parking lot of lifetime and sleeping in our own separate vehicles. And there's like absolutely nothing weird about this. But outside looking in, there's these dudes sleeping in their vehicles underneath this awning. Like it's just, I mean, normal has gotten real weird for me. 
well, like to the muggle population out there, two dudes sleeping in a vehicle, they're like, they're homeless people. Right. Like that's, you know, yeah. but in this, in the mountain bike or even the cycling community, especially amongst racers uh, or just adventurers, that's, that's a point of pride. Totally. Yeah. Those right? guys, it's a badge it. of they're honor. They're doing it. They're yeah. killing it. Yeah. I'm sitting there in my house in Inglewood. That's with your like, thousand indoor miles. Right yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I really wish I was homeless in a parking lot in Arizona. Totally. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's really, um, it's all perspective. Yeah. And, and that was really, you know, and we'll, we'll get into this, but that was one of the coolest things about what the Baja experience did for me was that it really, it just broke down, um, it kind of broke down all of the needs that I'd had and built over, over a lifetime, over 40, uh, 40 years of life, right? Like I like this and I like this and I like this. And then when those things all become unavailable, you realize like, maybe I don't need them. Yeah. I also like that, that, and that. That's what came. Right. So, so yeah, so I, I flew down to, to San Diego on December 26th, but I did not fly down there prepared to tackle the 1700 mile, dirt route from San Diego to Cabo uh, because I couldn't stand upright. Yeah, you called me on Saturday. I think it was... Christmas Eve. Yeah, it was Christmas Eve. And uh, you're like, dude, I'm fucked up. Right I, do, I turned 40 and, in one minute. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you have a pretty high threshold for being fucked up. This one, this one was... Like, you're the most rubbed dirt in it guy I know. This one was crippling, dude. And so for you to make... You didn't have to talk to me about it. You weren't calling me for any other reason nope. except for just to tell somebody you were fucked up. Yeah, I needed – I called you in a purely emotional state. <laughs> so rarely do will you ever receive a call from me. I, I could be like booked into federal prison and be less emotional than the moment I was – So what happened? I uh, I spent the week doing short threshold-style rides and gym workouts. And Saturday morning, I'm going to go to Abby's Cordio Class at E3. Um not necessarily because I wanted to do the class, but I wanted to sweat. I also wanted to just go with her because it's Christmas Eve. And then I know I'm not going to see her for, you know, a month. month. Dude, I was like, I have this technique of putting on socks where I put the one on and then the other one to balance my foot. I'm like a flamingo and I put my heel on the knee of the down leg. And so I'm doing this all standing up and bent over. And all I'm doing is pulling on a pair of these damn socks and my back twists and locks up so hard and so abruptly that I dropped to my knees like somebody kidney punched me. Right. And I'm in shooting pain like through my system. My eyeballs are bleeding pain and I can't move. It's like three minutes. And finally I'm like, I, I gotta move. And so I drag my like lifeless, I'm like a single cell amoeba <laughs> to this chair just outside my office. And I lay in like an L-sit situation on the chair for five minutes Finally get myself upright-ish, kind of looking like a half-man, half-ape, and walk over to Abby, and Abby goes, what's wrong with you? And I go, I can't stand up. Can't stand up at all. And she goes, what? And at this point, she needs to go, and I'm like, just go. I, I, I can't stand up. <laughs> just leave me. <laughs> just So I lay down on the bed, and uh, that's uncomfortable. I make my way to my couch and sit in the, lay in the fetal position for three hours. Oh, my. Dude, and then now, and, and from there, and people listening to this who are over the age of 40, I'm sure, understand what I did. It's a series of like bracing your stomach, keeping your abs tight, trying to stand up, slow, like everything you do takes 10 times longer 
the pain cannot be avoided. It's chronic and it's shooting at the same time. Yeah. Um, I was supposed to meet a buddy for coffee. He has this like uncanny way of just constantly reminding us that we're getting older. And he's like, well, turn to 40, man. This is what happens. Never be the same again. I mean, I have to laugh because it's like the, you know, the joke is, is like you can sleep wrong and be fucked up for a week once you, you know, hit a certain age. Yeah. And it's like guy had the audacity to put his socks on. Totally. <laughs> and, and so, you know, and I'm on the, you know, I'm, I'm staring on the freaking double barrel shotgun of 40. And, and I do have that thought coming in my head, you know, like four years earlier, I'd have been like, oh, you know, I just tons of hard workouts, tight glutes. I was a little bit messed up, but no, now I'm looking at 40. So I go, dude, you about to die. Right. <laughs> this is it. It's like, over. You get all these things in the mail for life insurance. You think it's hilarious and you just throw them away. And now you're like trying to dig them out of the trash and sign up for all the shit. <laughs> um, I was messed up. Yeah. And so I go through my normal routine. I got the foam roller and I got the freaking Norma text. I got my. Hypervolt, I got CBD. I'm doing all this. Nothing's helping. Ibuprofen, nothing's helping. It's just, I'm, in a, I'm a mess. Um, so I get through Christmas Eve and uh, you know, dinner with my family and stuff. And then get to Christmas Day and uh, family comes in town. We do the Christmas. And I'm just moving around barely. Like I'm just suffering. And all the while, Abby's going, like, there's no way you're going to San Diego. Like, there's no way you can do the Baja, you know? There's no way I'm not. That was where my head goes. What is our rule? What do you always do? Always go to the trailhead. You always go to the trailhead. You have no idea what's going to happen. You always go to the trailhead. And that was the only way that I moved forward. Like the name of this podcast, the name of our team, the ethos upon which we operate, yeah. and the idea of always going to the trailhead. So, I mean, let's be real. Like if you had flown out to San Diego and there was no relief and you couldn't sit on a bike, okay, you made the effort, right. but realistically this can't happen. Right. You know, and, and at that point too, yeah, flights are booked. Elander's out there wait like waiting for me to show up. Uh-huh. Actually he was in Scotland at the time, but he was yeah. he was gonna be there too. Like Well his van was there. His van was, he was there flying back from Scotland to there. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, I'll go. So I get on the flight. Dude, it's the worst flight ever that morning. I'm 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 broken, dude. I mean I am broken. And so I made one commitment in um it's funny, I actually had this conversation with Abby last night. She's dealing with something with an elbow. And I said, the pain has to get to a spot where you say nothing else matters. The only thing I'm working on doing is fixing this. And that's where we get like when we're, you know, when you're sick, right? You're like, well, I can't do anything else. And, and I just got to focus again. Or when something like tragic happens, like in a family, God forbid, you like lose somebody or something. Like everything else just stops. And I go to this thing she's dealing with her elbow. I go, it, it's got to get to a spot where nothing else matters. Like you literally do nothing until you fix it. And so on that flight, the amount of pain I had sitting in that chair, I said, there's nothing, nothing else matters than fixing this pain. So I get a referral to this, uh, this PT sports physio, this Jedi guy out there in, uh, in La Jolla. And I land in San Diego. I get an Uber directly to his space in La Jolla. And I go in there and explain to him what happened. And I go, dude, kitchen sink. Like everything you everything got. Everything you got. So this dude's got, he's doing dry needling, he's doing e-stim, he's got some laser thing he used, this like weird laser thing. He KT tastes me, massage me, manual therapy, puts a cream on me, does, we do a series of act, activation exercises, blah, blah, whatever. It was, it was like a $250 visit. Yeah. I go to leave, they do intermuscular shots there, at, at this place they're at, and I'm like, give me a shot of Toradol. Take it right in the ass. Boom. Shot of Toradol. 
Then I leave from there. I go to this juice bar. I get an anti-inflammatory juice shot and an anti-inflammatory juice drink. I don't fucking don't care, man. I'm taking everything. everything. Like everything. It, so I leave from there. I'm actually, man, I'm feeling a little bit better, you know, but I just got all this therapy done. So I leave from there, um, meet up with Brian. We got all of our stuff, get our bikes out. We start messing with them, get them all packed up, whatever. Like putting them back together, doing the bags. We're in this hotel and just outside the airport in San Diego. Um, I wake up the next morning and I feel markedly better. Like I would say 70% better than I was the day before. Right. And that was kind of my numbers. Like if I got to like half as, as good, then I'll keep moving forward. And, and you're, whether you thought this consciously or not, in the back of your mind, I'm willing to bet there was a thought that, well, if before we start, I'm at this point, once I start pedaling, everything will loosen up. I would like to think that I was that cerebral about this decision as well, <laughs> but I, I was so blinded by how much I hurt. Mm-hmm. I could, I literally, I couldn't, th- I couldn't even think to that point. All I could think about like the next day was I can get out of bed in 15 seconds when the day before it took me like a minute. Mm-hmm. Well, can I stand up? Can I walk? So that's what, that's what the day was. And okay. It started to feel so good yeah. that I messaged the dude. And I'm like, dude, I feel like amazing. Now, at this point, we're supposed to start the next morning. He's like, well, I wouldn't normally say see me again for a couple of days, but come back and see me again. And I'm like, well, yeah, 250 bucks a visit. I bet you want me to see yeah. you again. <laughs> but he wasn't like that. The guy's yeah. super cool. So fine. He's at a different location. I go and I meet him that night. I do another session. Yeah, We get back into it again. I start to feel so good that last night... Brian and I walked down to Little Italy in San Diego. We have a gigantic pasta dinner at this like super old, like 60-year-old Italian joint down there. So good. I walk back. I'm like, dude, this is going to happen. And when I laid in bed that night, I go, damn, this is happening. Now, at this point, we have our bikes are all set. Yeah. Everything's loaded. Bottles are filled. Like We have all of our stuff. Um, the clothes I traveled to San Diego in and the clothes I had worn for the last like day and a half, different clothes – are all in a, in a backpack and that whole thing is just going to get left in the hotel room. Like we're leaving just in our spandex, you know? So I went to bed that night going like, I'm putting spandex on in the morning and true to form, put the spandex on in the morning from the moment we pedaled after our first photo outside the hotel in San Diego. I didn't have back pain again. Again. Yeah. Period. For 29 days. Always go to the trailhead. For the days afterwards <laughs> in Cabo. Yeah. Since I've got back from Cabo. Since, you know, like, literally didn't have pain again. Yeah. It was the craziest, most isolated thing that had happened to me. Um, I did the activation exercises for the next, like, two weeks. Uh-huh. I didn't skip on that. I still do them to this day, you know. And so all that stuff adds up. So, like, when you're injured and you're wondering why you're injured and you have something happen like to you like that and you learn some new stuff, you got to, like, stay on top of that, mm-hmm. you know, and you do it forever. And maybe that is the 40-year-old now in me. I, I wake up in the morning and Brian just continues to eat calories and I'm sitting there doing like stretching exercises. Right. But hell, we both go on the bike and we both do the same thing. So yeah, you do a little bit of extra work when you're 40. So what? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's just part of it. Um, so a month is a long time to cover day right. by day. Um, you know, I thought about that on the trip, right? Because like the first day, the first day we rode from San Diego all the way to Tecate, Mexico. Like mm. we did the border crossing in a day. And as I'm finishing up that day, I'm like, oh, I'll talk about this. And I'll talk about this. And yeah. I'm, I'm like forecasting to when we get to talk about this trip. Yeah. 
And then the second day we ride from like Tecate, but then it's like cold and we only get like 43 miles, but only 43 miles because the day before we did 57. And so Brian says, at least get 43. So we're a hundred in as if that arbitrary goal means anything. Yeah. So I'm thinking we'll talk about that. And the next morning we wake up and do a fasted 40 mile ride, which is cr- talk about the- by the sixth day. I'm like, this podcast episode is going to be 86 hours. Right. That ain't exactly. going to work. Yeah. So I started reminding myself, like at some point I have to cover this whole trip thematically like what's the theme of this thing sure but i'm trying to think of the theme of a thing as it's unfolding before me and so i have to be a passenger to what the theme is Mm -hmm. while being a driver on the trip like this these are the thoughts that you have when you're you're out there well yeah and and we didn't we we you and i interacted more while you were gone than i thought we would just because not because i didn't think that you would reach out but because i i just figured it was remote enough that it wouldn't be easy to do. It's unbelievable how much free, remarkably fast Wi-Fi there is yeah. through the strip of Baja, Mexico. Like th- these guys don't have indoor plumbing and they got badass Wi-Fi. Yeah. Like thank you for satellite Wi-Fi, Elon Musk, <laughs> you're the man. Like yeah. these guys have badass internet. Right. Um. So I just, you know, so I experienced it through social media and a handful of phone calls. Yeah. And the phone calls were of like varying tone. Mm-hmm. One of them was I'm in such a cool place doing experiencing such a wholesome soul-filling thing that I just had to call you and FaceTime you and share it with you to absolute bicycle emergency. I need the doctor right now. Um, but the trip started off with a pretty uh, and again just experiencing it through the lens of social media it wasn't a smooth start the back issue aside you guys got caught in a pretty aggressive uh rainstorm dude second day first day third day something like that i'll tell you this um do you think baja mexico san diego sand to cabo yeah warm be like everything we read about is talking about like all the sand riding you do and how hot it gets. And a lot of people take breaks in the middle of the day because it's too hot to ride. And dude, the first two weeks of Baja were so cold. Like we were cold all the time, like just always cold. It was unreal. I'm like, where are the, where's the warm shit? This, yeah. I thought I was in Mexico, dude. Yeah, I thought I was in Mexico. It was, I was so cold. So, um, we took, we took, oh, we took the perfect amount of gear, right? Um, just to recap that real quick, we each had uh, two chamois, and then I had two shirts to ride in, uh-huh. and then I had a set of base layer wools to sleep in at night so I could put on fresh clothes in a rain jacket. That's it. Mm-hmm. I didn't bring anything else. The one thing I missed and that Brian did bring is a puffy jacket because I thought, we're going to Baja. Dude, I was so cold for the first two weeks. It was, it was unbelievable. And, you know, that was just the ignorance to how we kind of went into the trip, like doing the recon. But, yeah, man, day two, we were in rain, and it was – we went to bed in all of our clothes and got up, like, in all of our clothes and started pedaling to sunlight as soon as we could because how cold we were. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it get really nice throughout the days. And, you know, but the first two weeks, that, that was – it was a challenge to realize that maybe we didn't really understand kind of the type of climate we were going to be going through. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were doing some amazing riding. Most of the elevation gain happens in the first couple of weeks, first 10 days, up and down because you're hitting all the mountains. And then you kind of just do 
flatter routes as the as route it goes, goes down yeah. towards the end of the peninsula. Right? Yeah, exactly. And so um, the mountainous regions, but my God, is beautiful. Yeah, like. You know, I think one of the coolest things about some of the rides we get here in Colorado is that we have so much public land, like BLM land and and forest land, that you can get real remote real quick. I think even going to like Centennial Cone from mm-hmm. Denver. Yeah. Right? Yeah, you're on the backside of that. It feels like you're... In the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Right? You can't see the skyline. You can't hear cars. You're, I mean, in the middle of nowhere, you know? And on the Baja, like for a lot of it, we were really in the middle of nowhere. Um, and it was really cool. And, and I think what started to happen is that the things we looked forward to, if we were looking forward, if we weren't just living in the moment, which is so much of what the route was, but if the things we did look forward to were the transitions, like moving from being super remote and not seeing anything but cows um, in in different ranches to then getting into a town, no matter the size of the town, just the ability to be into a town was like a transition. Mm-hmm. And then to leave from a town back into the world, like, so it was the transitions you started to look forward to. Right. Um I can't tell you how excited we got to see a tienda. Like, like if, a, what's a tienda? Just a little store. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. like if you could find just to find a, to get to a place you could buy something, right? To eat or drink that was different than what you had with you, uh-huh. even though what you're buying is the same as what you have with you. Like it was just a fun thing to do. It was just a little highlight, and so the transitions became really cool. Um, I have to out you because there was a a thing that happened right before you guys hit a really intense stretch of not having anything and it involved a hotel and a facetime phone call okay um when oh, you you're gonna do it you gonna do this i am i have to you putting this shit on front street well so i'm gonna put it on front street because i think it was and you said that it was like the scope of the whole trip taught you a lot about eating on something like yeah, that yeah and so i think it speaks to that was the first like crumble of the wall on the trip. This what you're about to share is akin to me like standing up after a really cold shower and pulling my pants down <laughs> in front of everyone I know on the planet. I'm just letting you know that's the gravity of what you're about to drop. I feel like we're, this is like a really honest space. Yeah, I feel like I feel like there's a lot of people listening that I don't know. So go ahead and drop it. But you don't know them. So this <laughs> is shit. Uh, um, yeah. So what happened on New Year's Eve? Was it New Year's Eve? Okay, so Justin FaceTimes me, and he's like, dude, I'm so full right now. I, I, I had to do a thing, and I was like, what did you do? Did you? And I thought he was calling, because he was in a hotel. He's in a hotel. Uh, and I was like, my brain went to 100 different places. The hotel is Pareso Colonet. It, was, it looked like a really cool spot. It was Pareso Colonet. We were actually the only people in the guests of the hotel. That night. Um, and I'm, so there's 100 things that I think happened that are not what this phone call is about. Um, he's in a hotel. I'm like, oh, did you have, like, I'm thinking about the back. I'm like, oh, did you have to bail out? Did you have to pull the plug? Or are you taking some days off? And I pan the video camera over. Pan the va- video camera. And it looks like a crime scene. <laughs> <laughs> it was. A, scene. a decimated pizza. It was a nutritional crime scene. It was 13 years of E3 Fitness Justin crime scene murdered he was murdered um but it was <laughs> i have to walk it back just a little bit because it is done in only the way that you would do it which is you didn't eat anything that didn't have topping on it oh yeah yeah no i only <laughs> eat the top. okay so 
So, but, so, but, yeah. and the reason that I bring it up isn't to like talk shit or it, it was a funny thing, but, um, I think you like had a little bit of, uh, breakthrough sounds wrong, but just like a, a no, rev- revelation right about food when you're riding 1700 miles in 30 days, um, or 29 days and you're just on the bike for hours a day, every day, nonstop. I think, I think that was like the first moment of that trip where you said internally, I just need fuel. Yeah. So I knew, so I went into the trip in 29 days. We we planned to ride between six and eight hours a day. So, you know, that's thousands of calories, right? And so there's no way I can bring enough sports nutrition to cover that. So the first two days of the trip I had, I had filled my bag with um, honey bunchies bars and stinger and like waffles. And, you know, I had, I didn't use any carburetor because I wasn't going to do liquid calories, but I had tons of like sports fuel just packed in my bag. Um, but a couple of days in, you know, that stuff w- wasn't going to sustain it. And so. Well, you you, there's not really like nutritional value there, right? There's no vegetables in it. There's no, right, right. right? Like it's, it's carbs, it's sugar. Right. But, and so eventually though, we're going to have to like resource from other places and there's not like REIs down the Baja, you know? And so, uh, I knew I'd be eating stuff outside of, outside of the norm. Um, but I still was going to make the, the, like the right decision when given decisions. Um, I had to start to let that go because there were, there weren't really, there's not really a big difference between the two. And at a point you just want, want the calories. Um, but that night you're talking about the night in question, I think it was only like our sixth or seventh, sixth day on the trip. We roll into, um, Colonet and we had done a big day that day. You know, it was like a, like a 70 mile day. It was an eight hour day, like a big long day. And we roll into this Colonet's New Year's Eve and we have to ride through the town to get to the hotel. Um, Brian was a sleuth on, on planning the route. So I didn't, not only did I have to like let go of a lot of like opinions I've had about my life and the decisions I've made, I also pretty much let go of being in control of the day's agenda. And I gave it up to a freaking 21 year old. Right. But Brian did such a great job of, of knowing where we were on the route and then mapping out the next place to get to, whether it was a campsite or we're going to get to a town for a refuel or a refill stop or a hotel. or So each morning, or rather the night before, he would say, okay, tomorrow's goal is this. And without fail, no matter what came up, we always hit the goal. Mm. Even if it seemed like, you know, we got a late start or we had we, we stayed too long at a lunch place, or we always hit the goal for 29 days. It was, it was pretty remarkable. But I'd wake up and know, okay, Brian said we're riding here. That's what we're going to do. So we roll into this town, Colonet, and it's been a long day on the bike. And we get into the town and we stop and look for the hotel, can't find it. And he pulls up his deal and he used like three or four different apps all in conjunction with one another. Just a great amount of researching done on his part each day. And so he'd say, hey, we can go this way out of town for a hotel that's cheap, blah, 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 doesn't have a restaurant. Or we go this way and this hotel has a restaurant. And I was like, well, that's, and it's towards the route. Like it's on the route. I'm like, well, then that makes no sense. It makes that's the one yeah, we go easy. to. Yeah. So to do, we had to, we had to ride through the town and it was another like two miles. So we ride through the town and the town disappearing behind us has got open restaurants and all kinds of stuff, places to eat, gas stations, things like that. 
We ride through the town, and it's freaking, it's always this way. It's uphill, in the wind, on pavement, on Mex 1, which is, like, terrifying because you got semis, like, blasting by you, right? So we get to this hotel, and we get checked in. The restaurant's closed. All right. So we ask the guy, hey, can we get food? He goes, yeah, you got to ride back to town. And I'm like, ain't no freaking way. I'm getting back on that bike and riding back to town. And so Brian just randomly from behind me says, can you order us pizza? Now, this guy doesn't speak English. And so it's that becomes us like using the words that we know to ask if he can order pizza. And then him telling us that he doesn't think so, but let him make a, let, let him make a call. So he makes a call. And, and all the while in my head, I'm kind of like freaking out because I'm like, pizza is not like, that's not what not I eat. Not on the list. Yeah. And so the guy says, yeah, I can order you pizza. And so I was like, all right, cool. Get us two large pepperoni pizzas. And Brian goes, two? And I go, yeah, bro, two. And then Brian goes, get me a two liter of Coke. All right, and a two liter of Coke. <laughs> the amount of Coca-Cola that Brian Elander drank in 29 days would fill an emptied Baltic Sea. It would, it would overwhelm the Hoover Dam. The amount of Coca-Cola the kid drank would drown not just the Old Testament, but Noah's Ark had no chance. Like this kid drank more Coca-Cola in 29 days than I've ever seen drunk by anyone in my life. It was unreal. Okay. Gets two liter Coke. So we go into the hotel room and uh, we're cold. Like it was a rainy, cold day. It's like 40s. It was not, like I said, it's, it's cold Baja, not warm Baja yet. So we get into the hotel room and we're draping all of our stuff in the room that was wet from the night before us camping, like tent and sleeping bags and our clothes. And anyhow, we're doing all this stuff. Take a hot shower. I get out from the shower and then um, the pizza has arrived and then Brian's going to go and he's going to take a shower. And I look at this pizza. I don't eat pizza, but I think to myself, I am starving. And I look at it and I go, I could eat probably four or five pieces of this pizza and be, be full. And then I would have to tell the story of that night, that New Year's Eve, I ate pizza because it's all we could get. And I was like, so how do I make this like a better story? I'm going to eat the entire fucking pizza. That's how I make it a good story. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take down the whole... If there's an accomplishment to be had in this situation, it's not in, oh, I broke down my own barrier of nutritional value and what I think is appropriate and not and ate some pizza. No. The, the story is, I didn't just eat some pizza, dude. I ate the whole pizza. Yeah. And so I looked at it and I go, you going down, bro. Yeah. And I get my crushed red pepper flakes and I open up the Parmesan cheese and I do this thing, do it right. Do it right. Dude, I get down, there's like three or four pieces left and I am miserable. I feel like what I thought I'd feel like. I just feel terrible, you know? And I'm greasy, and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, you last few pieces. And I'm like, but I came here for a reason. And so I took them down also. Yeah. And that's when I called you. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, here, you're resourced. You know what happened? You, you know what happened the next morning? Nothing bad. Well, I took a glorious dump. Well, I'm not going to lie. I mean, but that's not bad. I mean, I took a glorious dump. I put my clothes back on, and I got back on the bike, and you know how I felt? Fine. Amazing. I felt absolutely great. We rode that next day, which became an ordeal in and of itself. That ended us stranded at a marble mining camp, brought in by a family out of the mud and the rain, treated to hot coffees. Maybe that's the day I was asking about when the bike, when there's just that picture of Elander like dragging his dragging bike, his bike uh, behind mud. him. Yeah, it was it was it was a bad deal, and that was the first time we were welcomed to the spirit of Baja, in the graciousness of strangers. Yeah, and like how beautiful a people they are. Um, to take you in and help you no matter what you're dealing with, whether they have the resources to help you or not, they're going to try with their damnedest to help you. Um, I realized I needed to let go of some stuff 
And the first was letting go of, of what I had built as a series of systems that have helped me perform the way I've performed in my life. Um, some of them maybe were a little bit more rigid than they needed to be. And that, that first <clears throat> breakdown, that pizza was, was part of it was like, okay. And so what's funny is I had about a few items that are available at convenience stores and markets throughout the Baja that I was like, man, when I eat that, I will have finally hit rock bottom. Right. right. Um, some of them were like gummy candies and so, and you know, I ended up at a point taking down all of them. At one point I ate uh, a bag of Doritos with uh, refried beans dumped into them and some bagged meat. Right. So that sounds awesome. <laughs> <laughs> there's still one item um, that I didn't, it was a, it was a product by Bimbo, which is like, you know, like the, the hostess. Cakes, right. Yeah. And it was these pinwheels and I, and I ended up never eating them. It was, I, I, I held a shred of decency left in my, in my being and right. never ate those. But, um, Man, I let go of a lot of stuff. I ate, I ate, I ate hot dogs. I ate freaking ice cream. I ate gummy candy. I ate a Snickers bar, Twix bar, whatchamacallit, Milky Way. So I was like, I want to try all of them. I ate a hundred grand. Like, I ate peanut M and M's. I started filling up my chest pocket because I wore like button up shirts. Yeah. Over top of bibs, I started filling up my chest pocket with fun treats. That's what I would do each day. And so one day I'd fill up that whole chest pocket, be all peanut M and M's. Yeah. Brian Elander and I can ride side by side at over 20 miles an hour on fully loaded uh, bike packing rigs, and I can throw peanut M's at him, and he can catch them in his mouth. <laughs> we developed that skill. <laughs> Remarkable. Uh, um, <laughs> some days I'd film up with uh, like chili spice mango. Some days right. I'd film up. You know what became a real treat were fruity Mentos. Fruity Mentos oh. are the shit because they're playful. You can like have them as a hard candy. Maybe you mess with them a little bit, try to make a shape in your mouth. Like those are a treat. Uh, I would, so, and then I started mixing it all up and just having like a bunch just of random mystery bag, mystery bag, mystery pouch. And I just, and you know what is crazy is it, it, it reinforced a thing that I read not too long ago from the feed. The feed sends out these emails mm-hmm. with all kinds of nutritional tips and training advices and stuff. And, uh, one of them talked about how the chronic underfueling of endurance athletes. Oh, yeah. Cause we're on this rivet. Like we're trying to stay super light and lose like bad weight but we want to ride a lot and be fueled. And, and it ends up being most, most riders are just underfueled across mm-hmm. the board. Um, and so the more I ate consistently, the better I rode. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> shock. <laughs> I, I know, but like kind of was a shock, right. you know? Yeah. And um, I just started filling myself up with dumpster food. Yeah. And I performed real well. So in the 29 days, Every time we went to a restaurant, we ordered at least two and oftentimes three meals. So whatever your meal would normally be, we just ordered two or three of them. Mm. Um, we did that every day for lunch and every day for breakfast. I'm sorry, for dinner, if we had availability. If we weren't in a town for dinner and we camped, dinner was typically an entire bag of tortillas, which would be 10 or 12 tortillas, and a bag of refried beans. Wow. Um, I would then eat those. And once it's dark, it got dark relatively early because it's January. We'd go to our respective sleeping deals. I had a tent and he had his uh, bivy. Um, and I'd go in my tent and about an hour later, still not asleep, I'd be starving. And so I would just open up a thing, a rack of cookies. Yeah. Now, I've already brushed my teeth. I got my like Invisalign in, you know, yeah. and I'd take those out and like set them to the side and eat a whole rack of cookies. Yeah. Um, I started eating caramel corn at night. Like that was my, like I would be in my sleeping bag. <laughs> Eating caramel corn. Yeah. Just like complete, just 
And you know what I do after I get done? Like a tiny swish of water and then like just put the Invisalign right back in and go to sleep. I wake up in the morning, pull those out and eat a whole bag of like whatever it was. I'd usually get like um, some trashy bimbo baked good or like, you know, Brian would do like donuts and Pop-Tarts. I'm not going to lie. One morning I ate a couple of things of Pop-Tarts. They were actually a little too sweet for me. Yeah. Um, so I was really a big fan of like these um, brand fruits, which was just kind of like a, a baked thing with f- fruit filling. And I have a jar of peanut butter at all times. I had a jar of peanut butter, and I'd eat the like I would eat probably eight hundred to a thousand calories before I got out of the sleeping bag. Yeah. Um, and then we would just move on. Like I really couldn't eat enough, but in the twenty nine days, I never had fatigue in my body that says I don't want to ride, and I never cramped. Not awesome. a single time. I mean, and we've kind of covered it before, not obviously to this degree, but how adaptable the body is. Right. Like once you once you're doing a thing and you're doing it every day, your your body will say, All right, well, this is just what we're doing. As long as you give me shit to burn, I'll do it. Yeah. Right. And you know, so I ordered the Myzone the whole time. Right. And uh, so I could track the calories I burned and all this stuff. But I mean, this was basically a zone to, right. I mean, it was, it was zone to like just aerobic mm-hmm. the entire time. And you know, we were like 150 hours uh, of riding in zone two. Yeah. And um, safe to say your base training's done for the year. Dude. So we, when we finished <laughs> the Baja, we're sitting there at um, the, I believe it's called the, the Funky Monkey. A hostel. It was my first. I never stayed at a hostel before. Uh, we got into Cabo a night before our anticipated arrival time, so we didn't have our like bougie resort yet. So we get this hostel, and we're sitting there. And Brian pulls up the stats on Strava, and to that at that point, it, it's safe to say that every I'm not going to say legit for the sake of sounding like a freaking classist, Boulder, but. Uh, Every legit rider's on Strava, right? Like for the most part, yeah. you know they may not track every ride, but like everyone's in the in the on all of the riders in the United States on Strava. When we finished the Baja, Brian and I were had the third most hours um, in miles of anyone in the country. Yeah. So like we, in terms of base mileage, like we were there. Like yeah. we did more, and and we felt great about it. Like we could ride as much as we wanted any day at any point in time. Um, in case in point was our last day, you know, our last day we did 107 miles, um, to finish a day early just cause we thought, Hey, why not finish thing, finish this thing on a century? We hadn't done a century in the whole 29 days. So we finished on a 107 mile ride. And when we got done, we just happily got a snack and sat down and ate and we're like, Holy crap. Like this thing's actually we're over. Done. Yeah. Um, and we felt fine. Like yeah. could have rode the next day. So yeah. it is wild what the body will adapt to do. Um, but eight or nine hours of sleep every night, ample amounts of food, um, and then staying within your zone riding. In, yeah. in, in it, and it was pretty spot on. So is this, is these days stacked up? And I'm like, thematically, what does this thing mean? Um, I walked away with like three big things. Okay. The first big thing I walked away with is that I need to find ways to be more gracious, helpful, hospitable, and welcoming to complete strangers, like people, complete strangers. Like, yes, I think I should be welcoming and hospitable and kinder to the people that I already know in my life, but complete strangers, like from opening and holding doors to 
helping someone with a bad, a, a blown out tire to just like a friendly smile and a, how are you? Sure. Do you need anything? Like we received so much help. Um, and not that we needed help, right? Cause we were pretty self-sufficient the whole time through, but when we were in a spot where help would have been nice, there were more than enough helping hands to stop and commiserate with us in our broken Spanish and help us bumble through whatever situation we were in. And these people did it with like a love and a care that was so, so powerful to me that that's what I walk away with as number one. Yeah. Like I need to be a better human because we were surrounded by people that were way better than us. It seemed like almost as if enough people bike pack that, that it's almost like a little excitement for them too. Yeah. I mean, we are definitely, so well, you like that that day you you FaceTimed me, and you're just like, dude, I just had to tell you, show you where I am, and these people is the guy with the leather shop. Oh yeah, that leather maker, yeah. And um, just and and you, the way you described it is, we're riding down this road, and there was nothing, 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 and then there was this place, and they welcomed us in and offered us water and coffee. And told us we could hang out for as long as we wanted to. And we did. And, and was, it was awesome. And I was talking to you on blistering fast Wi-Fi yeah. that they offered I mean, for free. It was FaceTime. It wasn't, yeah. I mean, it wasn't like a voice call. It was like a real yeah. easy. If you were in Whole Foods, you probably wouldn't have had as good a, a connection. I'll tell you right now, I have better I had better service there than I do here inside of base camp. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was one of the best stretches of the whole trip. Uh, we we crossed from um, El Datil uh, over to um, over to uh, the other coast, back over to the Sea of Cortez. We finished in Bahia de Los Angeles. And in that stretch, it was supposed to be the, one of the hardest stretches of the whole Baja. Uh, we go, it's basically just a, a ravine, a canyon, basically. A canyon the whole way. And you're going up and down in probably 20, 30 river crossings. Um, and you don't see anything but goats in wild horses the whole time. We didn't see anything but goats and wild horses. And we came up on this ranch. And uh, they they had been at that ranch for 35 years. Um, their kids had all grown there and then left on to other parts of the world, country, uh, Mexico, other parts of Mexico. Uh, and they're still there. The couple had mar- been married for like 42 years. Um, he was hand stamping designs into a piece of leather that would ultimately be a belt, a strip of a belt. He makes it all there by hand. It was beautiful watching what he was doing. And she immediately went into the kitchen as soon as we got there and starts making us food. Ask us what we want. And the answer is always the same from Brian and I. Uh, whatever you have, all of it and more. Is that, was, <laughs> that was how we ordered. Yeah. They're like, Totos became like our order, which is just all, all yeah. of it. Like, yeah. what do you have? Uh, we want all of it. Yeah. Um, and so she's back there and she's making us food right away. They had a small little... Um, shop of things that they stock for the Baja Divide riders. Now, yeah. you have two pi- types of people that use the Baja. You have us bike packers, and the season is like November to February. So it's a short season. And because of that, if there's maybe 50 or 70 people that attempt the Baja Divide each year on bicycle, it happens in those months. And so it's concentrated. So that's where people start to become real familiar with like, oh, there's not a lot of them, but we know when they come and they come at this time of year and it feels like a lot of them. That's why people think tend to cater to us. But then you also have the people that do the Baja 1000, which is all the like 
trophy trucks and OHV, like off-road. Motorized. Badass. And a lot of the Baja Divide bike pack route shares the Baja 1000 route. And there's massive industry built around the Baja 1000. Those trophy trucks and the teams that come through that. That's a $200,000 truck, right? Yeah. And so a lot of the towns that we went through that were part of that route, you would see all of the, um, like the restaurants or the stores that have stickers, different like off-road clubs and brands of tires. And like, there'd be stickers in all these windows for the off-road stuff. And then you see us bikers. Mm -hmm. And so we wove in and out of that route the whole time, which is why there was so much industry built around that travel. So people are, are used to it. But, you know, I live in, we live in Denver and we're used to people all the time coming by here, there, or everywhere. Mm-hmm. Still not as gracious and as giving as helpful as those people were. Yeah. And so um, it was really neat. I would say that what I owe the people of Baja is to develop an even better grasp of the language so that I could have a more nuanced conversation with them to really understand them. Right. Um, but every time we met with people, they they tried very hard to know our story and we tried very hard to learn their story. And it was really cool to sit there and do that. And it was really cool to watch Brian interact with these these ranchers and these families, these people. Men typically would be the ones that are interacting with us and the women would typically be preparing the food for us. And watching Brian like on board the skills of, you know, like sitting down and like looking a man in the eye and shaking his hand for for thanking him for being there. And like right. all of those formalities that, you know, Baja Mexico is a lot of the social standards that I think we were used to growing up in like the eighties and the nineties, where it was very hierarchical. And, you know, uh, there was a lot of respect built into how you interact with people that are older. And mm-hmm. I don't think that happens so much nowadays in like, where we live now because things tend to be more fluid and yeah, lateral. more casual. Yeah. Yeah. But, but there, there's like, it's kind of like these formal stances. As long as you took those, it was really fun. Um, so that was the number one thing was just being gracious and hospitable to complete strangers. That is something that, uh, that experience is so raw and was so like, just, it was a profound moment for me in that I have found myself doing that and I, st- I need to, I need to be better. I could constantly need to slap myself in the face with like, be more Baja, you know? Nice, yeah. The second thing, um, and it goes back to kind of the pizza and the, and the candy bars and the pockets full of gummy candy and stuff is um, there's really, you know, the, there's an old phrase, uh, you know, like there's no wrong way to skin a cat. I think there's probably because there's no right way to skin no, a cat. Right. Who the hell is maybe, skinning cats? Maybe don't skin cats. Yeah, like <laughs> leave cats alone. Yeah. Um, and if you do find one, like let it keep it skin. Yeah, just leave it be. You know, geez. Uh, people do things differently. And that's okay. As a coach and as, and I don't mean to sound like egotistical here, but as typically one of the faster, stronger guys in the group, I tend to think my way of deciding how to do things is like the right way. And it may very well be the right way for me, but it may not be the right way for the person next to me. And not only is that okay, but it also should not come with like judgment from me about how their way is stupid. Right. Which is uh, hard. I mean, no, no matter who you are, that's hard. Yeah, I think it is hard because like, this is how I wash a pan in my house, and if my wife doesn't do it the same way, I'm like, well, maybe I need to do it again because you didn't do it the way yeah. I did it. And let me show you why this way is a yeah. better way. It's maybe not always the right way. What I learned on about day eight, day eight is the first time that I got out in front of Elander. So for the first eight, first seven days or eight days, 
Brian rode in front of me the whole time. And, you know, for the first day or two, I felt a little bad about that because I was like, shit, I want to be, like, holding him up, you know? Yeah. And then I realized, like, well, he just gets to the top of this thing faster than me because he doesn't know how to climb chill. He just always attacks every climb for a KOM. Right. But he gets up there, and then he gets to look around and enjoy it and eat a snack, and he's having a great time. I'm having a great time. Yeah. So I let go of that feeling. But still, when you ride for a guy with a guy for a week and you're behind him the whole time, like, that'll wear on you. And I'm like, man, like, and it wore on me so bad that I let it go, and I didn't let it bother me. But like day eight or day nine, we're riding into uh, into this town, uh, Catavina. And Catavina is our terminus, and there's going to be a hotel there. And apparently it's a pretty nice hotel. Um, and then we get to stay there, and then the next stretch is like 170 miles with no services. So we need to be prepared for like two days, all our own stuff. So Catavina is going to be this cool, like last oasis before the first real tough chunk. And... Brian rides out in front of me for the first couple hours of the day. We stop at a point, check air pressure, have a snack. And then that's when I do it. I break down and I'm like, man, this guy has been out in front. I open up my first pack of gummies. And that's when I filled <laughs> that pocket up. Yeah. I start eating these gummies. I start feeling pretty good. Now, I don't pay attention to the fact that the route also mellowed out. There weren't as much climbs. It was more of like flat rolly um, where my power makes more sense than yeah. his power. Yeah, your size, your, yeah. It kind of all yeah. starts to like even out a little bit. And um, I end up getting ahead of him. And then I'm like feeling kind of cool because I'm ahead of like, I'm ahead of Elander. He's like the fastest dude I know, you know, I'm ahead of him. And now I'm not only ahead of him, but I can't see him behind me. And so I get even more motivated. <laughs> and I'm eating more gummies. I'm like, there's something to this gummy candy because this shit is just working. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just like, I'm done like freaking chipmunking gummy candies in my mouth and I'm just like and I'm banging beats and I'm like I'm doing all the Brian Elander stuff I'm listening to music I'm eating gummy candy I'm pedaling hard up climbs and getting out of the saddle and I find myself so far in front of him then I feel bad and I stop and I'm like man I don't know where he's at I wait for like 15 minutes before he shows up and uh he shows up and he's in the dark place that I was like the second day when he's so far in front of me and I feel bad and he goes, man, I hate being in the back. And I'm like, man, you should have let that go. I'm like Johnny Cool, you yeah. know what I mean? So like, <laughs> I've already gone through this whole thing. Um, but the route got flatter and I was able to ride stronger. But I also prescribed to the gummy candy, like be light yeah. on the pedals. And, and and that was the first time I learned like, man, maybe maybe what he's doing kind of does work. Yeah. Maybe what I've decided as my systems and standards doesn't need to be so fixed. Maybe there are other ways. And then lastly, as I like finished the trip, I realized not only are there other ways, but those other ways are okay, and those other ways shouldn't come with judgment. And that was the second thing I took away from the Baja, is that people do things differently, and not only is that okay, but it's good. Right. And, uh, and there's something to be learned from them in doing that. And so that was huge for me, because I, I've, I've really not embraced that for much of my life, and it's probably alienated a lot of people from me. And also probably um, had me miss out on a lot of cool, maybe either like relationships or experiences I could have had because mm. I so quickly snapped to a judgment and categorized somebody. Well, and, but you, like, I think it also, you have to look at the role and the character that you've inhabited. Yeah. You, you have to be that guy. Right. At right? times. Like, right. When people you, are paying or asking for that from me. Sure. 100%. And so it is kind of hard to turn that off, you know? Um but there is a way to turn it off. Sure. And, it, and I think it comes down, I've always said, like, I say some stuff that could offend people, but I don't 
really have much malice in my heart. Yeah. And so it's easy to apologize for something that offended somebody. Because I'm like, hey, man, I didn't mean for that to hurt your feelings. Like, I didn't mean any malice. I was I, just saying a thing. I was just saying a thing, you know. Um, and so I can learn to have that attitude also. Oh, that's awesome. When observing. So that that was the second, that was a second in a very, in a very, a very huge thing. Um, that was really powerful, really yeah. powerful for me. Um, and then the third thing, I think this is like the last, the last giant takeaway was, um, it's kind of like the Barack Obama coin phrase of his first campaign. I think the third thing was, yes, you can. Like, yeah. Y- yes, you can leave your life for yes, a month and leave your life for yes, a month. Yes, you can ride 1700 miles. Yes, and, you can ride for eight hours a day, every yeah. day for 29 days. Yeah. Yes, you can overcome that obstacle. Yes, you can maintain a good relationship with your wife and not see her for a handful of weeks. Yes, you can pursue a thing that fulfills you on an individual level without feeling as though you've abandoned your responsibilities in the other areas of your life. Like, yes, you can. Like, if you can be alive on the other end of the thing, whatever the thing is, then yes, you can do it. Like, yeah. And that is, that was huge. Um, because people may listen to this podcast or see me on social media or may know me personally or interact with me in some way, shape, or form and think like, oh, well, it's easy for you, dude, because you're, you're a mountain biker and you do this coaching thing. About, Don't worry, dude. Like, I have all the same problems and issues and struggles and stresses that everyone else in life has. Like I'm no, I'm no unique space character. Right. It was, it was a, a big ask of the people closest to me, even like you, Hey Harley, we're not going to record. We're not going to do this. I'm not going to be around. I'm not going to be here for the team. I'm not going to be here for help. Like everyone around me had to be willing, but you know what I found out is that they all are. Yeah. Like, yes, you can. The thing that you think is the craziest, most outrageous, audacious, impossible part of a goal or a dream or a fantasy is actually probably just like either a plane ticket or a few pieces of gear or a couple of conversations away from being a reality. Yeah. Or or just the decision, right? That's that. Like, um, I, I feel on the, just to double down on what you're saying, you know, after last year, last year, everybody saw, you know, we talked a lot about the physical aspects of my my season last year mm-hmm. and, and how much it changed, uh, who I was as a, as an athlete. Um, but bigger than that, one of the things we didn't really focus on that was a huge growth thing for me was time away from the shop and time away from home. Um, it was the biggest thing. I mean, it, it arguably Hands it was, down. yeah. Between you and I, you know, maybe yeah. not for the people at large. Well, but I mean, to me, that was the bigger thing. Like mm-hmm. cultivating fitness is not going to say easy, but it's a, it's a very like, if this, then that, yeah, if, totally. if you do the workout, then the result is this, if you do the nutrition, then the result is, you know, like, um, but breaking through that mental barrier of, of I'm going to go to Costa Rica right when it gets busy and then stay extra and not just come back home. I'm going to go and not to, be a stress ball during that. Right. <laughs> right? Um, I'm going to go to Texas when business is slowing down and really I should be there making sure that we're really getting every sale we can get. I'm going to go to go to Arizona in December, right before we're ramping up to Christmas crunch time. And, and that's been a thing I, and it's been with two athletes that um, just haven't seen the way forward. I'm just like, 
well, I can't do five races in a year. Well, yeah, you probably can. Like, you know, do a couple Wednesday night races. It's two hours out of your week, you know? And so that's like the the small version of this bigger thing you're talking yeah. about. It's just yeah. like, you can do the thing. Yeah. Just make the decision to do the thing. Yeah, and if, and if you know, you called me, it's um, been months ago now, and you asked my opinion on something you were thinking about doing with, with your business. Mm-hmm. And um, I just simply asked you, I was like, well, what do you want to do? What does your gut mm-hmm. say? Yeah, what, what do you want to do? Like, what, like honestly, like, cut all the, I don't need all the stories. Okay? Right. <laughs> I don't need all the spreadsheets yeah. and the trackers yeah. and yeah, the yeah. black and red checkers. Like, how does, what, is it, what does your gut want to do? And then you answer that and we never had that conversation yeah, again. All right, let's go. <laughs> like, uh, and, and so Brian and I thought we were doing a cool thing, right? We were bike racers taking on bike packing. I had never done more than a three-day bike pack. Neither mm-hmm. had he uh, ever. And we were going to go do one 10 times longer and foreign territory, right? And uh, <laughs> on the heels of many dicey relationships with bike packing. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and uh, not only did it work out amazingly, but we, we've now been like indoctrinated into this group of people that do this thing yeah on the trail we met a couple that started in the banks of alaska we had bumped into them on the baja right which only marked nearly half not quite half their route because they were riding from alaska to patagonia to argentina oh wow and they were going to take a few years yeah we met another couple from that's a whole other level of commitment dude we met another couple from Oregon. They started at home. They also were going to Argentina. They put all their stuff in storage, sold everything, had saved money up, but were doing it for maybe three years. They thought it would take them. This is their second trip. Previously, they did the same thing for like three years all through Asia, bikepacking. Wow. We met a guy who started in Pennsylvania, rode down to his girlfriend in Georgia, picked her up on bicycles. Mm-hmm. They started riding from Georgia together to Tucson, from Tucson to the Baja, and they were then taking a ferry from La Paz to Mexico City and going to ride across Mexico. Like, we thought we were doing a a big thing, and then we meet these other people out on the route, and we're like, my God, what's possible? Right. Um, We both commented that we don't think uh, we have a desire necessarily to live like three years on our bike, because there's like other things we want to do with the bike, but... It's really neat to go for like our no ride around crew and like our networks here. Like what Brian and I did was a huge thing. Like, yeah. tw- when's, do we know anyone else who's done 29 straight days bike on the bike? Like, yeah. rare, right? And we're meeting people that are doing three years. Yeah. So there really is like limitless potential. We were in La Paz um, and we got a message through Facebook. We're on the Facebook group for Baja Divide. And now when we're in La Paz, we're only a couple hundred miles from the finish of this route. Not even, like 150 miles. And we get a message from Bikepacking Magazine. And they have a reporter in La Paz who's doing a story on the Baja Divide. And he ends up meeting up with us. And he interviews us uh, on the roof of the hotel I booked. And I think he got kind of like a little... He, he got the version of us that he wanted to experience and that he was experiencing in the moment, which yeah. was us in this bougie hotel. Um, I thought we were going to camp most nights. Yeah. As it turned out, the way Brian mapped the routes, we were able to be in hotels 50% of the time. So we spent 50% of the time camping and 50% of the time in hotels, and we never went more than two nights of camping in a row. And that's just because 
we were able to ride the route so much faster than most people do the route. So if there was a section most people take three days on, we would do it in like a day, mm-hmm. right? And that was just not because we rode, not because we probably rode less hours. We just rode more determined hours. Like we stopped less and we just kind of were purposeful in our pedaling and it allowed us to cover like great distances. So well, this guy, you, you guys set, yeah, you had a timeline, right? Right. We had a timeline. Most people are, the, all these people you're talking about are, well, we want to be at this point in three years. Yeah. They're like, they're, they get to <laughs> it's a, a mission. whole different yeah. vibe. They get to a mission and they're like, this mission is really cool. We'll just stay here the rest of the day. Hang yeah. out. Like we knew we were going to pedal all the daytime hours. Right. Um, and so we're moving pretty quick. Anyhow, this guy meets us we're on the roof of this hotel. He interviews us and he starts to get this vibe of like, okay, so Justin's this, uh, like turning 40, accomplished bike racer. Brian's this young guy, 21, kind of on the upstart of his career. And he starts telling the story or crafting the story of like, I'm the guy fading out and Brian's the guy coming up. We're doing this thing together. And I'm like, well, first off, bro, I ain't fading no Okay. <laughs> like the fade ain't happening. All right. All right. Whatever you see. Okay. Like my back, totally fine, dude. Okay. Yeah, like yeah. no fade. Um, but it was fun to have an interview with him and, and for him to, to shine some light on it. And so the, uh, the article's out, I'll share it on our socials, uh, but Bikepacking Magazine did a thing on us and, and they classified us as the racers. Colin read me uh, a little excerpt out of it and the guy was like, make no mistake about it. These guys are fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was, it, that's, you know, we became kind of characters right. amongst the Facebook group as like, as the racers. Well, yeah, because, and that was one of the things that I didn't really think about and it makes total sense was you're like, oh, you know, we're, we're kind of seeing or at least interacting with the, some of the same people. Like they're not on the same path, but we're now we're part of this community and mm-hmm. they know who we are and we're the racers and they're the bike packers. And yeah, it was cause we would, what would happen is we would pass a group. We would never see them again. Right. right? But then we would pass another group that had passed that group and heard of us. And that was, so it was, like, yeah. it was fun just to kind of plow through the whole field. Yeah. Um, and, so, and, and, and to get to know him, but it was, it was cool to meet the guy in La Paz and chat with him. And, you know, he, w- he was telling the stories of other people he had met and to be part of that crew. Um, and we really needed that because that was a nice, good feeling as we came into the next day where, as you briefly mentioned, I exploded a bike, <laughs> was forced the opportunity to either throw in the towel. We were only like a two hour bus ride from Cabo at that point. And we pretty much did the whole route at this point. We were like, we're at like 1,580 miles is pretty much the whole route. But uh, because we're part of a team called No Ride Around, uh, we instead hitchhiked back to La Paz. My bike was unable to be fixed. I was to be deterred by that reality. So instead, I went to a specialized dealer and bought an entry-level hardtail for 1,300 $1, bucks. Transferred all my bikes over onto a bike that was one size too small for me. Left my broken fat bike in the guy's shop and continued on my merry way that same day. <laughs> what was the? Did you did you at any point calculate the uh, the cost of that bike per mile? Yeah, it was. So we get back on route, and we wanted to get back on route like from the point we had to leave. So we met this other dude at a different bike shop who runs this company called Baja Adventures. He's like, I'll pick you guys up at thunder's bike shop and i'll take you guys back to that part where you had to leave We're like oh dude's awesome thanks so he takes us back and he drops us off and we start pedaling and uh it starts off with just like some dirt road and then a long dirt road climb and we get up there and brian looks back at me and he, he he's waiting for me and 
he goes, hey, he goes, hey man, like it's so cool we're back out here. I'm like, yeah, no, I mean, it, it's cool, dude. Yeah, we're back out here. I'm, but I'm brand, also $1,500 I'm, poorer. Well, I'm on a brand new bike, you know. And he goes, man, he's like, I thought you'd be like so much more excited. And I'm like, you know, and I pedal a little bit and I just stay quiet. And I go, Brian, it's kind of like this. Like a dude who loses his leg, he's like super stoked. If four months later he gets this badass prosthetic like spring leg that allows him to run, all, <laughs> like he's super excited. But if a dude loses his leg and gets the prosthetic the same day, right. he's probably still mourning the lost leg. Like right. I'm like, buddy, I just had to buy this bike, and that's when I turned to him. I go, you realize that it's going to be ten dollars a mile is my cost to get from here to the end of our route, like to right. the end of cow. It was ten dollars a mile, yeah. um, at a retail level. But we end up <laughs> we get to Cabo the next day. Like I said, 107 mile route, and we're there a day early. And I'm like, well, shoot, I got to go back and get my other bike and we'll pause. So that night, as we're in the hostel, I book a rental car for the next day. And the next morning, we wake up and I get a rental car and I'm able to get back to the broken bike in under two hours because I'm driving a rental car in Mexico, which means <laughs> no laws. <laughs> Zero. Um, Didn't get the insurance either. And, of course not. <laughs> I'll just sail this thing into the ocean. Uh, we get back to the bike, I pick up my broken bike and bike boxes. We're back at the resort. With all three bikes now broken down and packed into boxes before my family even shows up. And uh, I look at him and I was like, you know what, dude? It was worth every bit of the $10 a mile. Yeah. Um, it, it made the right decision. And we did the whole route 1,700 miles, 29 days, 100,000 feet of elevation gain um, in about 150 hours. Um, would I do it again? Well, I'll tell you this. I will be spending every December, beginning of January for the foreseeable amount of years building a base mileage on a big bikepacking route like this. Yeah. And I think there are just a couple of parameters. Uh, one, I think it needs to be in a unique, never-before-seen location. Like I said before, bikepacking, doing like your domestic trails or your like home trails, bikepacking, it's kind of frustrating. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I had no... I had no understanding of how fast I'm supposed to do the Baja, yeah. right? Um, I just know we did it faster than everyone else we were around, so that felt good. But a unique location. Um, the second thing is having a right, the right riding partner. Um, I'm so much happier that I chose to do it with Brian than doing it by myself. Right. Um, just not that we, not that I needed to be like emotionally lifted up, but to just share the experience with somebody was really cool and it avoided a lot of the things I had battled with in the past bikepacking on solo routes, which is like how selfish you can feel because you do think about the people you're leaving behind at home or work or whatever. And so it was cool to have the right riding partner. Um, and then the third thing I think is, is then to find a way to integrate those people that you've left behind at some point in the trip. And so, um, for example, like we've already loosely started planning what's coming up next. And it will end with then Abby rejoining me for a trip or a part of the trip mm. after I've done the bike thing. So right. um, it is, it was the coolest thing I've ever done on a bike. And the, the lessons I learned as a human, even though I was only out for a month, are like lifelong lessons that I'm, I'm so fortunate to, to have been able to learn. It's that's, really cool. That's great. Um, there is a funny story that you told me that I don't, I can't remember if it's appropriate to share or not. It's the one where it was the, the story that decided that you had to talk to everybody. Oh yeah. So this Dude, is, this, this story is hilarious. This is unbelievable. 
So, so we got like I think this is a great way to end this because it was like you told me this and just like how it set the tone as just this like the the I did the thing or whatever it was like I don't remember. So here's what happens. Um, <laughs> so my my capture of the Spanish language is a it, it's about I have about two hundred or so vocabulary words. Um, I don't have like you don't have grammar. No, or I don't. Yeah, like. I, I don't have can't conjugate can't verbs. conjugate verbs. I can't <laughs> like there's masculine and feminine words. Yeah. And I don't understand those either. Like, but I have a big vocabulary, so I can like single word my way through a conversation. Which is like, I come into the bike shop here. I'm like, bike broke, chain, lube, new, need. Right, right, and it get the job done. It gets the job done. But uh, we, I would get done with these interactions, and we would, we would pedal away or walk away or whatever we did to get away. And then Brian would always critique me about how like I didn't conjugate the verb right or didn't do the. And I was like, <laughs> "Listen here, Spanish one, like, why don't you take over then?" And he's like, "Ha ha ha," playing all funny. Now Brian took Spanish one four times in high school, so he can crush like, "What time is it? What is my name?" I'm still or, just like, blown away. You're allowed to do that. I didn't know. Like either. we had to go like. You just had to like, if you wanted four years of Spanish, you were speaking Spanish four. One, two, three, four. Learn, get in or get out. Yeah. No, he f- somehow was able to do Spanish one four times. And I was like, I'm like, it's actually kind of smart. Like you got really good by the year two and three. <laughs> you could take the test without even thinking, right? Yeah. Like, so not smart. But he'd come back and he critiqued me, but he never spoke up. And the reason he didn't speak up, he's just... He's just not a super like outspoken dude. Yeah, he's a pretty pretty quiet guy. And, and he's with me, who's like the opposite end of the spectrum, right? So he's bust my balls. I'm like, well, then why don't you speak up, dude? And it kind of leaves it at that. So we're on this long stretch of sand riding one day. I mean, soul sucking, six inches, eight inches of sand, like two, three miles an hour at like 300 watts, like a uh, real hell of a day. Yeah. And we get to this little fishing village, um, San Felipe, this, this tiny little fishing village, which means there's like a couple of shacks that people fish out from, uh, but they're gone all day fishing. We go there, we camp that night. We have this amazing, like, in the dune, sand dunes beach campsite. We wake up in the morning, and one of the things I didn't have on the trip was coffee. Uh, I didn't bring any coffee. I didn't bring a way to make coffee. And people thought I was crazy going into Baja. And, uh, like, a real, like, Forrest Gump sort of way, I found coffee every morning. And I didn't even, like, try to find it. It would be, like, I'd be in a barren stretch of land, like this story I'm about to tell. And I would get coffee. It was, like, it was almost comical how I got coffee. So It's like a superpower. It was unreal. So we wake up, and uh, we pack up our stuff and get all situated. Had our breakfast of, like, hostess, whatever the hell it was. And um, I go, hey, Brian, I'm going to go try to find a cup of coffee. And so I walk over to these shacks. There's, like, nothing, right? Yeah. And I walk over to these shacks, and I'm walking around, and I see this guy, and he he's he's probably, like, He's probably 214 years old, this guy. <laughs> and he's sitting by this smoldering fire that we had seen the night before with a big group of people around it, like big by five or eight people. But all the fishermen are out, and you can tell this guy used to be a fisherman, but he's just he's a bit too old now to go out on the boat. And so he's sitting there by this smoldering fire, and he's got two big buckets. And the one bucket is full of snails, and the other bucket is full <laughs> of like the refuse of the snails. So what he's doing is he's picking up the shell, and he's scraping the snail out with his like his hands, his fingertips. He's dropping the snails here and throwing the shells over there. And he's doing this. And I walk up. Presume, and, is this for bait or is this for food? Well, I find out later on. Okay. I ask. And, right. and I ask him what it's for. And he says, comida. It's for them to eat. Yeah. Like they're going to eat. I they, mean, I've eaten snails. Yeah. And they make soup. Garlic and butter. And, I'm in. Yeah. Man. They make it in different ways. But yeah. this is, and what happens is when they 
catch all the fish, they tend to just get all of these in there with it. And someone has to filter through it all. And so right. they give it to the guy who's 217 years old because he can just sit at the fire and do it all day. So yeah. that's what he's doing. So I go up and I ask him if I can sit down. And I sit in a chair that's like a bucket seat from like an SUV, but it's not an SUV anymore. <laughs> it's and it's sitting on an old tire. And it actually made a freaking unbelievable camp chair. So I sit <laughs> on this like cushion thing and I'm like, I'm quite comfortable. And uh, I ask him if he's got any coffee. And uh, sure enough, he does. He says, yeah, absolutely. And he goes and he, he takes this old pail and he fills up this pail with water and drops it on the fire so he can boil the water. And he points to a table behind me that has some Nescafe instant coffee on it. Like, this is great. So I'm waiting for the water to boil and I'm talking to him. And then at a point, Brian walks up. And Brian walks up and he slots in. And he sits in, sits in another chair next to me, in between me and, and this, this old guy. And the old guy's going about his snails and doing his thing. And uh, the water boils, and I pick it up, and I grab a bike bottle, pour in the boiling water, my Nescafe Instant, stir it, sit down, and drink my coffee. I'm super happy. Now, the water has, like, bits floating in it and, like, yeah. all the stuff. Everything you would imagine. Totally. The guy yeah. that asks, uh, he's sitting there, he's picking up the snails, and he asks Brian if Brian wants a cup of coffee. And um, Brian doesn't drink coffee, but he goes, yeah, I'll have. So Brian takes his bike bottle, and he makes a cup of coffee with a bunch of sugar in it. We're sitting there, we're enjoying a coffee with – this old timer and uh, the old timer reaches over to Brian and he's got a fresh snail in his hand <laughs> and he offers Brian this. Now Brian has learned on this trip that one of the ways you show respect is to be gracious. Just, just to eat. So he takes the snail and he eats a certain, so now Brian's drinking coffee. That's got like bits of floaty nastiness in it. <laughs> this dude who's scraping these snails out of the shells, his hands haven't been washed since the eighties. Like I promise you, like his hands are just, they're weathered. <laughs> Okay, and he takes this raw, slimy snail off the fingertips oh, of this 200-year-old guy's hands. And Brian takes it, and he eats just it. Just pops it. And he chews it, and he swallows it down, and he drinks his, like, Nescafe, just, like, bold, in-your-face, floating bits coffee water <laughs> out of a bike bottle. And then the old guy scoops out another snail, and he hands it to me, and I go, oh, no me gusta. <laughs> and I deny the snail. And the guy puts it back, and we finish our coffee, and he ends up offering us hard-boiled eggs, just hard-boiled Anyhow, we walk away, and uh, a little bit later on that day, Brian and I get somewhere, and I have a conversation in Spanish, and it's my broken Spanish, and, and, and as the person walks away, Brian looks at me, and he critiques all the ways I say it, and I was like, motherfucker, you, you speak then. I'm always the one that speaks. It's your turn. You deal with the communication then. And he looks at me, and he goes, nope, I ate the snail. <laughs> and that became his... <laughs> Like badge of honor the rest of the trip. If there was anything that needed to be done, anything at all whatsoever, he just looked at me back, ate the snail. <laughs> and I had to do everything. It was unreal. And you know what? I couldn't really argue with no, him. No, he can't. I couldn't really argue with him. He did earn his stripes. He did. He earned he earned his stripes. Oh no, that was uh you told me that and I was just like, man, that's like and and but then to have it for the rest of the trip, right? Oh, he and boy did he, he wove that flag. We had a lot of things like that. <laughs> yeah. Just these funny little like, just these breakthrough moments and interactions where you're like, you can't create this situation. Like you just can't. You can't create. I met a guy. We were on an abandoned isthmus of land. We had to take a boat to get there out of Mulahe. And we're riding on this strip of land that's uninhabited, and there's no trails. It's just like kind of bushwhacky, but it's very unique because there's only one way to get there by boat, and no one's out there. And we camped there that night, and, and we're riding the next morning. We haven't seen anybody. We're like, we have our own land. There's no one around. And sure enough, off in the distance, we're like, is that a tent? As we continue riding down the coastline, 
and we're in uh, Conception Bay. And uh, we roll up on it, and yep, it's a tent. And in this tent is this guy, and he just turned 80. And uh, he's there with his his girlfriend. She's in like her 60s. And they're, they've been out kayaking, and they camped on the shore, and they thought they were the only ones there. And uh, I go, oh my God, I can't believe somebody's out here. And like, we couldn't believe he was out here either. I'm like, this is so great because I was wondering where I was going to get my morning coffee. Just kind of funny, you know? <laughs> and the lady goes, would you like some coffee? And I'm like, sure, damn right I would. <laughs> and I sit down with this old couple and uh, she talks to us and tells us the guy's 80. And he goes, oh, you t- stop telling people I'm 80. I'm not 80 years old. And I looked at him and I go, man, I'm about to turn 40. It's kind of what this trip's all about. I go, you're still disgruntled by getting older? And he's like, doesn't matter. He goes, every time you turn a decade, you hate it. You absolutely hate it. Every time. He goes, there's no way I'm 80 years old. And I was like, well, it's good to know I'll still have my fire and yeah. double my age. Yeah. And it was those types of moments as I'm drinking coffee with him. I'm like, you can't create this unless you open yourself up to an experience and say, I'm just going to take it as it comes. And, and that was, that's why I'm doing another one this December. That's awesome. Not the Baja. It'll be somewhere different. Something different. But uh, I will disappear again and I will go find <laughs> another version of life. <laughs> I do what well, I like. There's one thing we can count on is that when it gets cold in Colorado, you will disappear. I am gone. <laughs> uh, well, that's a hell of an adventure, and uh, we ran pretty long, so I hope everybody liked it. Um, I don't think there was a way to do it short. I mean, it was that was the shortest way to that's do it. That's the shortest way we could do it. If anyone wants, there's about a thousand more stories, much like the ones we've already told. I already told. Yeah. Um, hit us up, and we'll tell you more. Yep. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. You're weak! You're done! So get the fuck out! You're weak! You're done! So get the fuck out! You're weak!